Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining me today on Michigan Minds. But before we get started with our conversation, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Yes. So my name is Lisa Fadina. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, and I am an assistant professor in the School of Social Work. Um, I teach classes on social welfare policy to our graduate social work students. We cover historical and current trends in anti-poverty programs, as well as major safe social safety net programs like Medicare and Social Security. I'm also affiliated with a few research centers here on campus, uh, including Poverty Solutions, the Injury Prevention Center, the Youth Depression and Suicide Prevention Program, and the Institute for Research on Women and Gender. But I love working with our students here on campus, um, and I've had so many wonderful opportunities to collaborate with colleagues in different departments. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to hop right into our conversation. Your research also focuses on different forms of violence throughout life and more specifically focusing on the health and mental health outcomes. Could you please share a bit more about this research? Yes, definitely. So my research investigates the root causes and consequences of gender-based forms of violence, including the connections between different forms of violence across the lifespan. So I draw on perspectives from social work, from public health, um, intersectional feminism, to develop strategies that hopefully create more uh, equitable health and mental health outcomes, including how we might be able to do this through our current criminal, legal, healthcare, and social service systems. Um, so it's very well documented in the literature that many different forms of violence, including child maltreatment, uh, youth violence, teen dating violence, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and elder abuse, that all of these forms of violence lead to negative mental health outcomes for victims. So outcomes such as PTSD, depression, and suicide. Um, however, many of these forms of violence across the lifespan share a lot of the same risk and protective factors. So if we can target some of these risk and protective factors, then we might be able to prevent um, both the risk for depression and suicide among survivors of violence, but also prevent violence from reoccurring again in the future and over the life course. So um, one study that I'm working on right now is funded by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, and we're looking at common profiles of victimization and how various patterns of violence lead to suicide risk among emerging adults. And so in this study, we have found that young people who were exposed to interpersonal forms of violence, so things like child maltreatment or adverse childhood experiences, IPV, um, as well as structural forms of violence, which is police violence and hate crimes, were at significantly greater risk for suicide than young people who experienced only interpersonal forms of violence. Um, so we believe these findings really highlight the importance of targeting structural violence, which is really understudied, and it's often overlooked in clinical interventions and prevention work. Thank you so much for sharing that insight with us. As October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I would like to focus on your work with intimate partner violence, especially, and the economic insecurity among women and transgender adults during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you describe some of this work and some of the work that you're doing moving forward? Absolutely. Um, so myself uh, and my colleague, Dr. Sarah Peitzmeyer, um, initially conducted this uh, online survey, this study 
um, which included um, over 1,100 women and transgender or non-binary adults ages 18 and older who were living in the state of Michigan. Um, so in this study, uh, we asked participants about their experiences with physical violence, sexual violence, psychological victimization, or technology-facilitated IPV um, during stay-at-home orders. So what their experiences were during that period in Michigan when we um, were in lockdown, which was um, approximately March 2020 to June 2020. Um, and then we also asked them about their experiences prior uh, to, the to the implementation of the stay-at-home orders. So in this study, we found that two-thirds of survivors, uh, or 10% of Michigan women and trans individuals, had experienced IPV of increased severity, meaning that the abuse that they were experiencing got more severe, or it got more frequent, or it had started in a new relationship where they had never experienced IPV before. Um, in the same study, we also found that there were certain groups who were, who were more vulnerable to experiencing increased IPV. These included pregnant women. So one in three pregnant women had experienced increased IPV during lockdown. One in four people with a toddler. So um, folks who had very young children in the home, those who were living with six or more people in their household. So who had like higher household density, trans and non-binary folks were more likely to report increased IPV than cisgender women. Um, and then also those who were unemployed or underemployed and who were also essential workers were all more likely to, to report increased IPV. We also found among, for the folks who were experiencing IPV, that very few people were using or, or services or accessing services like hotlines or calling the police for help or accessing shelter services, legal services, et cetera. Um, and there are a lot of barriers that were noted among um, folks to getting the services and the help that they need, which included things like being fearful of their partner and that their partner would find out um, that they were trying to get help, um, being fearful of contracting COVID, of, of getting sick, um, if they were to seek out some of these services. And then also so many um, organizations were experiencing reductions in their capacity and in service availability. So those were some of the experiences, or I'm sorry, some of the barriers that survivors of IPV were experiencing early on in the pandemic. And then also some of the populations and groups um, that might that were more vulnerable to experiencing IPV. Thank you so much for sharing that insight with us. Can you describe a little bit more in depth these economic insecurities that these victims of IPV faced or still face today? Yes. So it's very well documented that intimate partner violence and sexual violence have significant costs, significant financial costs for survivors as well as, as, well as for their families and for communities as a whole. So in our study of IPV um, during COVID, we found that survivors who experienced IPV during lockdown were three times more likely to be housing insecure, meaning that they missed at least one rent or mortgage payment since the start of COVID. Survivors were also nearly three times more likely to experience healthcare insecurity, meaning that they needed to see a doctor or get prescriptions filled, but they couldn't because they weren't, weren't able to afford it. We found that um, multiracial women and trans folks, pregnant individuals, those who identified as a sexual minority, were all at elevated risk for experiencing specific forms of increased insecurity in housing and healthcare and food, um, and also in phone and internet services we had looked at. And I've also done other, other work, research prior to the pandemic with nationally representative data where we have found similar patterns again, documenting this link between IPV victimization, 
and food insecurity and housing insecurity and healthcare insecurity. Um, and with among the with these links, we have seen um, significant statistically significant differences in these economic outcomes for women of men for women and men of color who are experiencing IPV. Um, compared to white women and white men who are experiencing IPV. So we see notable gender and racial inequalities um, in these outcomes as well for those who experience IPV. Um, so overall, these findings highlight the need for housing and rental support for populations most in need of safe and stable housing. Um, expanding accessible and affordable healthcare options can really enhance the safety and well-being of survivors and increase opportunities for providers um, to screen for IPV and to link survivors with needed social, economic, and legal uh, services. The legislation at the beginning of the pandemic, some of the COVID-19 related legislation addressed some of these issues and provided some relief um, with regard to um, housing and rental support. Um, but we really need some continued attention in this area, particularly if we are to address the racial and gender inequities in both violence and in financial hardships and economic insecurities that communities have been facing um, over these last couple of years. That is such interesting research to find, and it's so sad to hear that these insecurities are still happening. As you move forward with your research, now as the pandemic has continued to shift, and moving forward in the future, how do you hope your work will help victims of intimate partner violence and survivors? Yeah, um, in the work that I do with my colleagues, um, I think my hope um, is that this knowledge and data can be used to guide public policy, both existing policies and to develop new policy interventions that will help make these connections between forms of violence across the lifespan and how we might be able to simultaneously prevent survivors from experiencing further violence in their lifetime. Um, so my hope is that this work can bolster efforts to fund and support local domestic violence agencies, family service agencies, and really strengthen social safety net programs that so many families rely on and that can potentially serve as a protective factor against adverse mental health outcomes, including depression and suicide which often stem from trauma and violence, as well as from, you know, experiencing financial hardships and economic insecurity. Thank you for all of that great information on this topic. I also want to shift gears just a little bit. Some of your research also focuses on sexual violence, intimate partner violence, as we've said, but you also work with the Center of Academic Innovation and Michigan Online to teach a course that's related to intimate partner violence and the interprofessional strategies for prevention and responses. Could you please discuss a little bit about this course? Yes. Um, so my colleagues and I had received a grant um, from the Center for Academic Innovation to develop a massive open online course, or a MOOC is what they're known as. Um, and so this MOOC focuses on intimate partner violence, uh, looking at or specifically teaching two interprofessional strategies for prevention and response. So as the faculty lead of this course, I had initiated a partnership between the University of Michigan and the University of Maryland um, to co-develop this course together. So across our two institutions, we have contributions in this course from over 20 faculty members, um, as well as practitioners and as well as survivors of IPV. Um, and so this content is delivered over five modules um, that focus on the basics of understanding IPV, its causes, its consequences, how to screen for IPV uh, in healthcare, social service, and legal settings, how to identify resources and referral mechanisms um, for survivors and families experiencing IPV, 
um, how to understand and address IPV across um, racially diverse, gender diverse, and LGBTQIA plus populations. And as practitioners, how what a, what an interprofessional coordinator response looks like that can best address the various you know social, health, legal, and economic needs of survivors. So the MOOC is available globally to learners. Um, it is free. Um, you can receive a certificate of completion at the end. Um, if you would like, um, that offers a paid um, opportunity for that. Our course currently has learners from over 60 different countries um, with students and practitioners in the fields of social work, law, nursing, medicine, pharmacy, pharmacy, and dentistry, as well as other allied health professions. So it's the first online course um, to focus specifically on interprofessional education um, and response, um, and it was launched in June of 2021. So exciting to hear that there's so many different individuals who are currently utilizing this course as well. As we get close to wrapping up our conversation today, I want to ask, what's one takeaway that you hope everyone listening will have from the information that you shared today? I think one takeaway um, from this, from our research and from this information is that survivors of violence and trauma are are at significantly greater risk for a number of social, economic, and mental health consequences. Um, but these consequences and burdens are inequitably distributed in the population. Um, and this is due to structural inequalities and discrimination um, that communities of color are subjected to, along with sexual and gender minority communities and poorer communities or economically vulnerable communities. So violence and its associated economic outcomes and its mental health outcomes can be prevented through public policies that promote affordable housing, affordable health care, and that really focus on targeting inequities um, in the population. Thank you so much for sharing that. And is there anything else that you would like to share today related to your research, your online course, or anything else in this area? Yeah, so October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So on a personal level, I would just suggest that, you know, if somebody you know is struggling, if somebody has uh, shared their story with you, believe them and listen to them without judgment. Let them know what has happened to them was not their fault. Share identity affirming resources with them. If you're in need of some additional resources or information on gender-based violence, as well as uh, suicide and suicide prevention, I would encourage folks to check out the organization Futures Without Violence, um, which is a great national organization that has a ton of resources online for practitioners in many different fields on how they might be able to um, get involved and address um, intimate partner and sexual violence in their work. Thank you so much for all the information that you provided us today. And thank you so much for joining us today on Michigan Minds. It was great speaking with you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.